Heavenly Father, we pray that you would teach us to count the cost of following Christ and that seeing that this is a worthy and good thing, we would do it with our whole hearts, counting all that we must leave behind as gain. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Please be seated. So this week I bought a banjo. Oh good, Ted's not here and everybody's still laughing. That's a good sign. I I went out to lunch with a friend of ours who, who runs a ministry here in town and we were catching up and talking about life and how things are going and all of that. And he mentioned that he had been getting back into music and how excited he was to be doing that. And I remembered that I... I, I occasionally dabble in, in music as well, not, not as good as some of the other wonderful people here in our parish, but I occasionally like to do that kind of thing, and I've, I've thought for a while it'd be fun to have an instrument that I could play on the front porch while I hang out with my family and friends and watch kids play in the yard and all of that wonderful kind of stuff. And I thought, well, a banjo is kind of perfect for that. It's a, it's a folksy instrument. It doesn't require a ton of attention to detail, and, and at least Lucy and I like bluegrass. I don't know about anybody else in our family, but I, we like it, so there's that. And so I thought, well, after having lunch with this friend, if I can find a banjo for under $100, that's not a ton of money. I can afford it. It won't break our budget for the month, all of that kind of things. And then I've, if, 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 if it doesn't stick, I haven't lost a whole lot. So I looked on Facebook Marketplace, and I actually ended up finding that another friend of mine was selling a banjo. So I texted, Julie, I'm going to see an old friend. He's selling a banjo, and that's all the explanation I gave her on that one. (laughs) So I bought this banjo, but the the point of this story is I I thought about, well, what can we afford? You know, under $100 is pretty reasonable. If, If I play for three weeks and just give up, that's not a ton of money lost. I won't be really disappointed in myself, and... You pay more for art sometimes, and you can hang the banjo up somewhere, and it would be very pretty. So I kind of thought about what the cost would be and what I would gain if, what I would gain if, if, this, if this goes through. But I'm wondering if you've counted the cost of following Christ. Even though grace is freely given to us, it is costly Some of you may be familiar with this man, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a Lutheran pastor in Nazi Germany. And he he led part of what was called the Underground Church, I I think. All of a sudden I'm blanking on this. But he led this church that sort of opposed the the regime and, and said, no, what you're doing is not okay. What you're doing is, in fact, evil, which was not a favorable thing to say in Nazi Germany. But he stood up to this, and he wrote two books to help train Lutheran pastors in Nazi Germany to lead these, these underground churches. The first was Life Together, and the second was called the, the Cost of Discipleship. And in The Cost of Discipleship, he talks about this thing called cheap grace. And he defines cheap grace as grace is the cheap grace is the grace which we bestow upon ourselves. Cheap grace is preaching is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, 
Cheap grace is the grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. My friends, I hope you see this and you know that this is something that you should reject. Reject cheap grace because it only leads to death. And so we come to our first question this morning. What will it cost you to follow Christ? What will it cost you to pursue him wholeheartedly? It may be that as you draw nearer to Christ, you may have to put away some sin that you like to dabble in. Maybe drinking, you drink too much and you get grumpy and mean to people around you. You need to put that away. Or some other sin. Maybe it's some part of your identity that you hold so close and it clashes with being in Christ. Your identity is found in Christ and Christ alone. If you follow Christ, you may lose friendships. People may think that you're weird, that your priorities are different, may not like the fact that you don't drink when you go out to eat or some other thing along that lines. You may lose respectability in the community. John Piper, the the great Baptist preacher, wrote a book called Brothers, We Are Not Professionals. And in it, part of his hypothesis is that If you preach Christ crucified week in and week out, there will be benefits to this for your Christian community. But you will be at odds with the larger community because ultimately people don't want to hear about Christ crucified. And so you may lose respectability if you live in the reality that Christ was crucified for your sins. You may have to choose your worldview so Christ is exalted above all else. I may, I may get in trouble for this story, but I'm going to tell it anyway, and we'll go from there. But a, a friend of mine who's a pastor down in the valley posted something this morning that said something along the lines of what hampers your joy or what comes in between you and your joy. And, and for those of you on Facebook, you know that you can see one of the responses underneath all of the responses. And the one that popped up, and I kind of had to laugh, And then I realized, I'm not sure that's a good thing that I laughed, but it's neither here nor there. The response was Biden. And and for some of you, that may very well be the case, that Biden causes you to lose some of your joy. Some of you may think Biden's the best president ever. I I really don't care, by the way. That's probably what's going to get me in trouble. (laughs) But you can have your opinion about whether or not Biden is a good president, But he or any other president or king or ruler has no right to steal your joy. Your joy is found in Christ and Christ alone. So if Biden is stealing your joy, you've got to work on that, my friends. But above all else, you may face persecution and even death. The context of our epistle this morning is St. Peter writing to these Christians in Asia Minor, and the reality is that they were facing persecution, and some of them probably even faced death for the sake of Christ. And yet, what does Peter say to them? He doesn't say, buck up, buckaroos. He doesn't say, you know, just power through it. He says, this is a gracious thing. And he doesn't say that once, does he? 
He says it twice. And this brings us to the second question. What does our salvation cost Christ? You might have been surprised when you read something that started this morning with, this is a gracious thing, and then immediately St. Peter jumps into talking about persecution. That might have been really surprising. But St. Peter is setting up for you to understand that this is a gracious thing because when you suffer in Christ, you join with Christ in his suffering. In other words, when you suffer in Christ, you draw nearer to him. It is sanctifying, it is strengthening, and it draws you unto him. And then St. Peter unpacks just in a little bit what it costs, what the cost of discipleship is, or, or what it costs Christ for you to be a Christian. Jesus Christ, Son of God, very God of very God, as we say, week in and week out in our creed, became man. Think about that. And Paul spends a lot of time talking about this, and it also comes up in the book of Hebrews. He gave up his rightful place in glory to take on human limitations. I mean, think about it this morning, about your own limitations. Who here this morning has some ache? I'm pretty sure everybody here does. Who here this morning got sick in the last month or two? Who here this morning is annoyed by their allergies and forgot to take Flonase? (laughs) I told you allergies were coming up this morning. We know... Altogether too well, our limitations. We get tired, we hurt, we stub our toes and we get frustrated. The person cuts us off and we're like, mm. that, that's me also. <clears throat> and Jesus took on the limitations without being sinful. So he got tired, he had aches, he, he had allergies when the, when the whatever the juniper equivalence is in, in Israel came blooming out in the spring and everybody's you know, just like we are. He took on those limitations, but unlike us, he was perfect. And if that's not mind-blowing enough that somebody would leave heaven for you and I, he died for you. That's amazing. He suffered and died so that you might Live. St. Peter describes this death as being a death upon a tree. And if you're thoughtful and you're wondering and listening, you might wonder, well, why in the world does St. Peter say that he died on a tree? We all know he died on a cross. We've seen it. We have crosses all over the place. We don't have trees. But the tree was like, it was an, but because the cross is drawn from a tree, right? You cut down a tree and you dry the wood and you make across. It's wood. So in part, they would have saw the tree as being part of what is condemned in Deuteronomy 21. Deuteronomy 21 reads, and if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, in other words, on wood, his body shall not remain all night on that tree, but you will bury him the same day. For, he hanged, for a hanged man is cursed by God 
and you shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. In other words, Christ was cursed for you and I. Still without sin, Christ took our sin, became a curse, died your death of shame, so that in his resurrection, you might have life. My friends, I hope even just in a little, little glimmer, you can see how much your salvation cost Christ our Lord. So that when he calls you to take up his cross and follow him, so that when he calls you to take up his cross and take up your cross and follow him, to leave behind all that stuff in your life, to change your worldview, as challenging as that might be, to count all of that you are going to lose as gain, to die with him and for him, that you know that he is inviting you into not only what he has gone through, but what he has brought you through. That's amazing. But what about the benefits? So in my sort of silly story about the banjo, if you don't like bluegrass, there are no benefits in me buying banjo, a banjo. <laughs> but if you like bluegrass like I do, and therefore I'm quite happy, there are lots of benefits. If it sticks and I have fun playing it, and I'm a blessing to at least my daughter, I don't know if my wife's on board quite yet, then she's on board. All right, good. <laughs> then there's all kinds of benefits to this little purchase that I made, right? And even if, even if it doesn't stick, I've had fun trying to play it and, and all of that, and it brings my daughter and wife lots of joy. But what are the benefits to Christ's crucifixion? It's through this cursedness that we just unpacked that he bore your sin. You are forgiven and more than just forgiven, you are being healed. You know, sometimes I'll, I'll be sitting and all of a sudden I'll remember something that I did in the past and I'm like, what was wrong with me? Why did I do that? Or how could I have hurt that person in that way? And it'll just kind of almost take over. But part of this healing is that your shame, your sorrow, your heartache over your sins that are in the past and in the future have been borne by Christ on the cross. And there is healing for all that pain. How amazing is that? The last verse of this chap chapter, or this section and chapter, ends with the fact that because Christ has died for us, he has brought us back that we can return to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Think about that. Christ is our shepherd. We commonly refer to this Sunday as Good Shepherd Sunday. It's why I wear my funny little hippie um, shepherd stole as opposed to the normal white one. And it's why all of our lessons had to do with shepherds. If you noticed and were listening, every single lesson brought up the fact that the Lord is the shepherd. And so we, we commonly refer to this as Good Shepherd Sunday. And, and in order to really understand what it means to have the Good Shepherd, we think back to Psalm 23, one of those wonderful and faint, wonderful psalms that are so, so loved 
by so many. And to kind of end this, end and see the ultimate benefit of Christ as our shepherd, Christ as your shepherd, we just look at the last two verses of this wonderful psalm. The psalmist starts in verse 5, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. The reality is that one day, much as the psalm says, you're going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. In other ways, one day you are going to die. I, I hope we're all aware of this and I'm not bursting somebody's bubble this morning. But you're going to die and you're going to face our shepherd our Lord. And if you are in Christ, if you were obedient to his voice, if you did not harden your heart, you will hear the sweetest, sweetest of words brought to you by his blood. Well done, good and faithful servant. I can't imagine a more sweet thing to hear at my death. But my friends, if you ignored the voice of Christ, if you placed other things before him, if your trust was in anything other than Jesus, I must warn you that you may very well hear what the goats heard. Away from me, I never knew you. So my friends, do not harden your heart today if you hear his voice. Yes, The cost of following Christ is high. But think about, think about the benefits. Think about how this psalm ends with that wonderful phrase that a table will be prepared for me in the presence of my enemies. Now this may seem like a weird thing in the psalm. Who wants to have a table and eat dinner in front of their enemies? But I'm I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that this refers to to Revelation 19, 6 through 9, and the marriage supper of the Lamb. I'm pretty sure that when the marriage supper of the Lamb occurs, that everyone will see Christ and his bride bound together, finally and fully. Finally see when the church is bound to Christ, finally see what we now have but a taste of when we come to the Lord's table when we break the bread and drink the wine and taste what is to come in the marriage supper of the lamb and there's a tone of justice here too isn't there really think about that for a moment if the lord is preparing the marriage supper of the lamb to be a testimony that the church is his bride then those who persecuted the church will know even though we gave up stuff to follow Christ, our gain is so much greater. And then the psalm goes on and talks about how our heads will be anointed with oil. Now, we don't run around anointing people with oil in this day and age. That's not a common thing. But back in the ancient Near East, right, the the climate was much like our climate, dry and, and hot. And so you go out, you're walking around, you're caring for your sheep or your sheep themselves, and, and your head and your body is going to get cracked and dried out. And they didn't have, they couldn't 
run to the store and get aquaphora or whatever and cover their hands in it and feel better. Oil was what they used to rejuvenate their skin. And they rejuvenated their sheepskin with this as well. And so in the anointing of the head, there's rest. There's rejuvenation. There's healing. There's being made well. And my cup overflows. And again, I think we go back to Revelation, to the very, very end of Revelation, where it talks about the river of life flowing out of the throne of God and the Lamb. And how this river flows through the middle of the city. And the tree of the life is there. And everything that you need is in plenty. In particular, communion with God. There is much Much joy in eternity. And as we end with verse 26 of Psalm 23, we read this great promise. You have followed, you have given up much to follow Christ, but surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. That's a promise for now. Yes, there might be sorrow. Yes, there might be things that really frustrate you in this world, but you have Christ. And that is so good. That is good beyond your wildest imagination. And you have mercy. And he goes on, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Some, some, sometimes people wonder what that would be like. And, and we don't really have the ability to imagine it. I think, again, what we looked at very, very, very briefly in Revelation 22 just gives us a glimmer of what that will be like. But maybe, maybe one thing you can do is, is think of the goodness and beauty that you experience in this lifetime. Think about the goodness and beauty that you know in this lifetime. Think about the last sunset that you saw that was amazing or the best meal that you've ever had or spending time with a loved one and how much joy that brings. And then magnify that by infinity. That's what we are looking forward to. That's what eternity, dwelling in the house of the Lord, will be like. My friends, have you counted the cost of following Christ? Are you willing to set everything aside and even possibly face persecution or death? to gain the incredible things that you gain in Christ. Gain that shepherd that will lead us through the valley of death, that you might one day rest in him. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.